This is WNXS News with your anchors, Kit Harding, Jake E, ISO on Esports, and Diz on Product Forecast. Welcome to WNXS News, your nexus for magic news. I'm Jank E. And I'm Kit Harding. Thank you for joining us. Our top story. As we rapidly approach the magic 30th anniversary celebration. Still during the 29th year. Yes, still during the 29th year. Ever more information is given to us about all the new and impressive ways we can celebrate. Last episode, we came to you with complaints about one such way. The cosplay contest. This episode, we come to you with what may be the most startling news on which we've ever reported. Wizards of the Coast actually listened to the complaints of its fan base. Not just listened, but took action based on those complaints. Instead of just free travel and admission to a future event and a gift card, legitimate cash prizes are now included in the prize pool. First place gets $3,000, second gets $1,750, and three winners in very specific categories will each have $1,000 to take home. Alas, lament for those of us whose sewing skills are concentrated in areas not useful for cosplay. I thought you were good with a needle and thread. For embroidery. That doesn't help with the base level constructing a costume. Going full medieval noble, I see. Well, I am a lady. <laughs> lady Orca, maybe. I would never serve someone with such a pretentious name as Ramsey's Overdark. I require some class in any overlord I choose to serve. I was unaware the Mana Vortex had class. Don't be ridiculous. I don't serve the Mana Vortex. I merely try to stay out of its way. Right. Unfortunately, given that I am neither properly skilled in the cosplay arts nor equipped with an intact immune system, the new prizes shall not be able to lure me to participate in the cosplay contest. Same for me, but swap out the lack of an intact immune system for a lack of an intact financial system, and it's more correct. Yay, capitalism! Speaking of capitalism, I'm sad to say that thanks to it... The 30th anniversary celebration plans are now on the list of one step forward, two steps back things Wizards seems to excel at. Honestly, the fact that we're surprised by this is what surprises me the most about it. Yeah, at this point, I'm somewhat impressed we can be shocked, especially when it's something that many are viewing as a break of Watsi's reserve list stance. By now, listeners, you are likely asking to what we are alluding. Tuesday, October 4th, the weekly MTG program unveiled a new special edition booster pack specifically for celebration purposes. These packs contain cards that haven't seen print in nearly three full decades, and for good reason. They're part of the reserve list, which Watsi has repeatedly said they have no desire or intent to print from. And yet, in these boosters that will cost $1,000 every four packs, they will give openers a chance to get their very own Black Lotus. Finally, Vintage is in affordable format! Is it, though? Is it really? Of course not, don't be silly. These cards aren't even tournament legal. They have special non-Magic card 30th anniversary backs, rendering them as not quote-unquote real cards, even if they are real expensive cards. 
I'd like to say it's rare we see so much anger and discourse in this community, but we all know that would be a blatant lie. And we here at WNXS News pride ourselves on our integrity. We do. In fact, that's likely why we'll never get direct Wizards partnership of any kind. But we don't do this for the fame or the money. Especially not for the money. We do this for the love of the game. Even if we don't always love decisions made in relation to it. And we also do it to warn people about the creeping danger of the lurking mana vortex, which shall surely rise up and consume us all if it is not properly appeased. Yes, that is why we do this. Players who dislike this specific decision do so for one of two reasons, or both of them in some cases. The first of these is the aforementioned feeling that this is a break in Watsi's repeated stance on the reserved list. Several employees of Wizards have commented in the past that no matter the card size, border, or back, the company does not want to print reserved list cards. The second reason is the very, very high price point on what is essentially a proxy card product. As countless players have pointed out, why pay this much for proxies when you could get personal custom ones from proxy artists online for much less? When you account for the cost of these packs, not to mention the astonishing ticket prices to attend Magic 30 itself, as Pleasant Kenobi stated on Twitter, it feels as though there isn't really any way for the average player to interact with the 30th anniversary. I will be interacting with the 30th anniversary by trying a Theros Beyond Death and Neon Dynasty combination sealed format. You what? Your sealed pool is three packs of Neon Dynasty and three packs of Theros Beyond Death. I want to see how the enchantments synergize. Why? Well, Chaos Sealed, two pools of the same six sets, proved disappointing, so I'm trying choosing the sets with more attention for the synergies. Is coming up with odd sealed format variants just something you'd like to do in your off hours? Yes! Why? To interact with the 30th anniversary! You know what? I'm done. I'm not touching this one anymore. But there are ways we can interact with secret layers and new sets. So to tell us how, here's Daryl! Thank you, Jank! Tears is out this episode, sad to say. We'll hit the Brothers War first. We've seen two new examples of a mechanic that until now we'd only seen in one set before. Meld! The two brothers themselves will be represented, showing their journeys culminating in the consequences of their own actions. One of the precious few times Urza did feel the consequences of his actions, I might add. Indeed you might, Kit. These cards depict Urza and Mishra as they were before the Silex detonated. Mishra specifically as he was after Gix claimed him in full, and Urza immediately after having Power Stone shoved in his face were in what used to be his eyes. All but green will be represented amongst the four cards involved in these melds as well. Uh, will there be a green meld card in that case? There will be, though... There is currently no indication as to whom or what or whatever will be on it. Spoilers for the set should start in earnest fairly soon, but in the meantime, we've got 30th Anniversary Secret Lair previews. Beginning October 24th, the Magic Secret Lair 30th Anniversary Edition will be available for pre-order. 
This layer will contain 30 individually wrapped cards, each in a wrapper reminiscent of a specific year of Magic's history. And each card will have a special style of its own. The 30 cards have not all been revealed, but we've seen a handful. Shark Typhoon, Necropotence, Chrome Marks, Birthing Pod, Elspeth Sun's Champion, Nicol Bolas God Pharaoh, and Bloodbraid Elf are just seven of the cards we can expect out of this lair. Are you sure the Shark Typhoon has not gotten into your voice? No, 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 Kit. This is just how I talk. Thank you for making me feel so secure about it. Is that a Rebecca Gay art for Elspeth? And with old rules templating and bordering as well? Good eye, Kit. In addition to iconic cards, we can also expect iconic artists to appear via these arts. And last but not least, we got a fast look at Dominaria Remastered cards. As a reminder for those unfamiliar with the set concept, this set will contain cards from all throughout sets based on that particular plane. So far, we've seen Birds of Paradise, Jester's Cap, Time Strage, Tatiova, Benthic Druid, Sneak Attack, and Swords to Plowshares with much better artwork. These definitely show how strong the set's gonna be, and we'll let you know as soon as we know more. Kit. Thank you, Daryl. That takes us to our first break, and when we come back, a special conversation with a new RC member, arena championship results, and more. Long ago, before Nicol Bolas returned to life to torment the planes with his strategies, and long before the War of the Spark or even the Mending, two brothers plunged Dominaria into a war that nearly ended existence on the plain. The Brothers' War was built on petty rivalry, manipulation, and above all, jealousy. And now, you can learn all about this war at the Dominaria Super Show Playhouse. Come on down to Nubanalia. Well, not Nubanalia, new Nubanalia ever since the Phyrexians came along, but new Nubanalia for the Dominaria Super Show Playhouse to see the Brothers War Dinner Show Spectacular. All proceeds will go to the war effort to fight the Dominaria menace that has returned upon our plane. The Dominaria Super Show Playhouse. Come and get your food, come and learn some history, and come and maybe fight some Phyrexian Sleeper Agent. Who knows, not me. Welcome back! Last week we were pleased to announce the addition of two new Commander RC editions, Olivia Gobert Hicks and Jim LePage. This week, we're pleased to bring you an interview with one of those two, specifically Jim LePage. And welcome to News Talk. Today with me, we have a very special guest, Jim LePage of the Spike Feeders and most recently Rules Committee fame. Uh, Jim, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. It is our absolute pleasure. Um... First question, uh, I know I just named your two most notable accolades, but for any listeners who might not be familiar with you and your content, could you please give like a brief summary of who you are and what you do in the magic sphere? 
Sure. Yeah. We, uh, well, I run a channel called the Spike Beaters and, uh, we are primarily on YouTube, although we do a little bit on Twitch. Um, not so much recently, but we have done some <laughs> stuff on Twitch and, uh, most people know about us, uh, because of our connection with, uh, CDH, uh, competitive commander for those of you that may not know. Uh, we started making content on YouTube because we didn't really see our particular flavor of playing the game represented on YouTube. And that's usually a pretty good indication that there's a niche that's not being served. Um, so yeah, I, uh, you know, we got together a few of our friends and, and bought a camcorder and, uh, I'm not going to lie to you. We taped it to a light fixture in my dining room and we started recording the games <laughs> that we were playing. Uh, and that took off. It really resonated with a lot of people. It's a it's a way that a lot of people play, and up until that point, wasn't really represented in the content sphere. Um, so that was about four years ago. Uh, we've been running that channel ever since. We do primarily gameplay, but we also do combo explanation videos, a lot of commentary on the philosophy of the format. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we do some talking head stuff for set reviews and that kind of thing, just garden variety magic content. Um but yeah, then uh, a little while ago, two years ago, I joined the Commander Advisory Group uh, to weigh in with my thoughts on um, the direction of the format. And uh, very recently, a couple weeks ago, I was added to the Commander Rules Committee along with Olivia Gobert-Hicks. Right. Um, congratulations, by the way. Thanks. Um, yeah. So this is the first ever expansion of the Rules Committee. It's always been the same four people since the format sort of uh, unofficially officialized itself. Um, and as such, this is kind of an unprecedented situation. So from your movement from the CAG to the Rules Committee, how do your responsibilities change and shift? It's uh, it's kind of interesting. Actually, there there have been changes in the past to the Rules Committee. Um, notably, uh, Scott uh, Larrabee joined the Rules Committee in about 2012. Um and there have been like a couple people that have joined for brief periods of time. Uh, the problem is it's so difficult to research this. Mm-hmm. I remember I asked this question four years ago for an article that I was writing. I used to write articles before we did video content. And uh, I was like, who's on the rules committee? And I Googled it and I could not find it because this was back in the time <laughs> when uh, the mtgcommander.net was on like Angel Fire or GeoCities oh, or something gosh. like that. <laughs> One of these old website hosting services. It had no information on it. I couldn't even figure out who was on the rules committee. Uh, I was writing an article about whether they were doing a good job in the format and I couldn't even figure out who it was. Aside from Sheldon. Everybody knows Sheldon. Right, yeah. But, um, these days it's a lot easier to find because the website is much better than it was. But mm-hmm. uh, I actually ended up having to do a bunch of digging in um, the MTG Salvation forums and MTG Nexus forums, uh, only one of which is still around. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's a it's a pretty big change nonetheless. Like we're we're talking about this is the first change in a decade easily, right? Um, yeah, you know, one of maybe one of less than five changes to the comp the composition of the rules committee in the history of the format. Mm-hmm. Um, and now in terms of my um, responsibilities changing. The commander advisory group is uh, just that it's an advisory group. So it's a, uh, you know, it serves as uh, a way for the commander rules committee to get a pulse check on the format. So it's intended to cast a wide net among um, types of players um, among styles of players, because there's lots right. of style styles of commander. Uh, and just to get an idea for how things are going. Um mm. Often the Commander Rules Committee will uh, toss out a topic for discussion, like, hey, what do you think of this card? Or what are you seeing at events that you're going to? Or, you know, is this a big problem in your LGS? And then there will be a discussion among the, uh, Mm -hmm. there's currently, 
I believe, 13 uh, commander advisory group members after the change. Uh, and that's what it is. It's an advisory capacity. They don't get a vote. They don't get an official mm-hmm. say in what happens in the format, but they do chime in with their opinions. Um, now, on the rules committee, uh, you do get a vote, or rather, I do get a vote uh, <laughs> on things like card bannings, rules mm-hmm. changes, um, uh, and a few other things. But those are the two primary ones, is uh, card bannings and unbannings and rules changes. Uh, mm-hmm. We also uh, have an open dialogue with Wizards of the Coast, and uh, we give them feedback on card designs and, uh, you know, kind of give them a little bit of our input on how we think the format is going. And then that can kind of help inform their card designs and their product choices. Okay. Um, now that you've been... So what you're saying is that uh, now people can yell at you on Twitter instead of Shivam whenever they don't like something. <laughs> I have a feeling they're not going to stop yelling at Shivam. That's just my prediction. <laughs> yeah, I don't. And poor Shivam. I feel so bad that he gets all that heat. <laughs> and it's not yeah, anything he's it's, ever it's, done uh, wrong. She was one of those people, and, and I say this, I say this with all of the love, is that um, he tends to to um, speak very passionately, and he kind of shoots from the hip. Yep. And uh, a lot of people tend to. Uh, uh, go with the least charitable interpretation of what he says. Um, but, you know, I, I don't foresee that changing anytime soon. And that's that's a big part of like the the gut reactions from Shivam is a large part of why he's valuable in the format, right? Is uh, He's going to tell you what he thinks, honestly. Yeah, and I, I think that that's something that the, that the format and the community at large benefits from, uh, despite those who decide to just, you know, think that he's being mean, a big meanie. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so now that you've been elevated, for lack of a better term, uh, to the rules committee, do you have any specific hopes or goals for the format that you would like to try and implement or try and push more for now that you've got a vote? I really do. Yeah. Um, this kind of came up when uh, when I was interviewing for the position. Uh, they asked me a very similar question is what what would you intend to do? if, if you, uh, join the rules committee. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that I see in the format that I would really like to, um, improve is there can be a really tough dynamic with people, uh, trying to get games in with strangers. Uh, and that's, uh, in in a number of settings, it's usually not in a, in a comfortable play group with your friends. Uh, it'll be like at a local game store at your weekly commander night. It'll be at a command fest. It'll be at any number of events. Um, I'm not, particularly talking about um, like CDH tournaments, even though that is a thing. Um, that's not really what I'm super concerned about. I think that there are a lot of people running those events right now that have a really good concept of what needs to be done and what needs to change in those types of events. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to touch that. But um, I do think that we can go a long way in terms of um, the experience that people have when they're playing against strangers. Um, right. And to give you a, like a, just a super high level overview of what I have in mind, um, I've long thought that you don't necessarily need to match power level. That's, that's generally mm-hmm. what people point to when they say, this is the only way I can have a good game with a stranger is if we're bringing two decks that are very similar power levels. I actually don't think that that's the case. Um, I think it's one of the components that will lead to you having a good game with strangers, but it's not the only component. And I actually don't even think right. it's the most important component. Um, it's good to have, but think about any social activity that you do with, um, even with your friends, right? 
Mm-hmm. The reason why you enjoy those social activities is not necessarily, you know, if you're playing pickup basketball with your friends, you don't have to be the same skill level to enjoy playing pickup basketball with your friends. You just have to go in there with the same attitude, right? Whether that's we're going to go really hard in the paint and, and you know, um, grind for every competitive edge, or we're just having fun. We're not keeping score. We're just like shooting hoops in my driveway as an excuse to <laughs> get out and enjoy a nice day, right? Um, so I think that matching people up according to their their sort of disposition towards the game that they want to play, I think that that is a much more important way to at least get people sitting at the right tables so that mm-hmm. they can have a good discussion. Because the discussion isn't always possible as a way to separate people out into tables. Because if you think about the dynamic at, a, at an LGS, mm-hmm. you know, you put your name on a sign-up sheet, they're going to randomly assign you into pods, right? Um, yes. By the time you sit down at the table and you're ready to have a rule zero discussion, it's already too late. You're already playing with those people, right? So right. there might be a little bit of fine tuning you can do with with deck selection. Um, but by the time you're sitting down at the table, you're already locked into playing with those people. Um, what I would like to see is before people are divided into pods, um, maybe ask them a quick, this is sort of something that I've been workshopping, but ask them three yes or no questions or three binary, like this or that questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then use that to separate people out into pods so that we know that when we sit down, we're at least all looking for the same thing. And that fine tuning discussion can be a little bit more effective. Right. Um, so just to give you an example of a question that you might ask is how much time do you want to spend socializing versus how much time do you want to spend focusing on the game actions? Mm-hmm. Um, because typically, if you want to go and just play a game of Commander and you don't want to really want to go and make friends or anything like that, you might be very, very frustrated by somebody who wants to ask you about your deck, who wants to talk about what's going on in the magic world or, you know, um, you know, a podcast that they saw or the most recent episode of the Command Zone or something like that. Um, there are a lot of people out there that want to do that over a game of Commander because this is like their poker night with buddies kind of socializing. Right. Um, so if we are able to get all of those people to the same table, they're less likely to have that sort of social friction um, that comes from misaligned um, expectations. The full interview can be found at mtgnexus.com. Our next story, Arena Championship 1 was held September 24th and 25th, and since ISO is off with Diz filming the beach episode... The what now? Every good show has a beach episode eventually. It's where you do all the fan service. We are not doing fan service! Why not? Don't you think the fans want to know all about the fine details of oceanic geology? Kit, that's not what fan service is. It isn't? I want to know all the fine details of oceanic geology. Kit, you're hardly our average fan, and believe it or not, most people don't want to know that. Most people are boring. So what is it then? You know what, kid? I'll just tell you when you're older. This right, you're going to be telling me all the secrets of the mana vortex in like 10 years. Moving on. So Daryl is here to give us the breakdown of the metagame and a recap of the top eight. Daryl? Thank you, kid. The meta for the arena champions... <clears throat> The meta for Arena Championship 1's Alchemy decks was surprisingly diverse, with only one deck sitting at more than 13% of the field, Esper Midrange. (coughs) 
The next two most common were domain control and Rakdos sacrifice. <laughs> Rakdos sacrifice followed closely by a different Esper deck aggro. All four of these deck archetypes made themselves known in the top eight bracket. Shota Yasuka, Taka, Takama, damn it, I know I can pronounce this. Takama Fujiyama and Pascal Vieira all ran Esper mid range. Kisuke Sato, Sam Rolf and Ivan Duras were all on Rakdos Sacrifice, or Rakrifice, if you will. And the last two competitors were each the only representatives for their decks, with Edgar Tagizad playing Esper Control and Michael Bond running Domain Control. The final round came down to Kisuke Sato against Sam Rolf, with Sam taking the title in a tight 2-1 matchup. If you'd like your shot at running the Arena Gauntlet, a best-of-one qualifier play-in is coming up this Saturday, October 8th. As always, there will be more events to come after, and we'll be sure to keep you in the loop. Jank! Thank you, Daryl. This brings us to our second break, and when we get back, all new Alchemy updates and news about some of the war some of the Warhammer 40k cards. Hi, Janky here on behalf of MTGNexus.com. Are you looking for a site to talk about the latest magic news? Find new brews to take your decks to the next level. Talk about the latest topics? Ask people's advice listen to great interviews, or just hang out. Have I got the website for you? MTGNexus.com has all this and more. You can even see us go head-to-head at twitch.tv slash MTGNexus and talk to us about the game. MTGNexus.com. I'll see you there. Welcome back. As is the case for an updatable, balance-capable format like Alchemy or Historic, rather than just flat-out banning cards, typically Wizards decides to just change the rules on those cards. We've seen several of these changes throughout the existence of both formats, and now five cards get to be unbalanced. Divide by Zero, Essica's Chariot, Faceless Heaven, Goldspanned Dragon, and Luminarch Aspirant will all be returned to their tabletop forms for these formats. So they divided everything by zero to zero out the changes? That is not how math works. If fan service is learning about the geological details of the undersea environment, then this is how math works. Dividing by zero is undefined. You don't get a number as an answer. The rules of math don't allow it. And the rules of math are not subject to your whims. We are playing magic, and I'll remind you that math is for blockers. Magic is not a Riemann sphere. Moving on. Several cards from Streets of New Capenna will be rebalanced for the limited aspect of the format. 
One example from that list is Cabaretti Charm's first ability, changing to deal damage equal to twice the number of its controller's creatures to a specific creature or planeswalker. The full list can be found in the latest Rebalance article, as it is simply too much information for this format, and we will link that article in the show notes. Our final story. For some odd reason, rather than a shipping delay, this time the Mana Vortex has caused a card placement error. The forces of the Imperium and Ruinous Powers decks each have one card in the token slots instead of the typical portions of the decks. Forces of the Imperium buyers will need to look for their copies of the Epistolary Librarian in the back of the pack with the tokens, which is where ruinous powers consumers can find the Exalted Flame of Tzenich. Tzinch? That's all this edition. We'll see you next time. Same time, new news.